Hi everyone, I'm Josh, and welcome back to Gold and Great, telling Asian American stories from the gold rush to the gold open. Today, I'm happy to share an extended version of a recent community spotlight interview with actor, musician, and YouTuber Jimmy Wong. Uh, we'll get to Jimmy in a second, but I wanted to just start off by going back to something I previously had touched on with singer-songwriter Brian Dublin in our last episode. Check it out. Um, but we really were addressing the power of YouTube and really being a new frontier as well as a haven, honestly, for amateur creators, especially the API community. Uh, previously, we really hadn't had any kind of mainstream platform for any kind of API produced, controlled, directed, written, all that stuff, content, um, let alone any kind of humor, satire, drama, etc. right? Um, if you think about Margaret Cho, she took on the first Asian American family comedy on TV, 1994, All American Girl, but at the end of the day, she didn't have any creative control of what ended up on screen. And she left disappointed. The show ended up getting canceled after a season. And as I'm sure you might have heard, there hasn't been really too many opportunities for our community to have access and control of the resources and money to make a mainstream project. And so we ended up taking it upon ourselves to create and get known on YouTube. And that really brings us towards today's guest, Jimmy Wong. He got famous originally uh, for going viral with a video in 2011, the Ching Chong in the Library song, which I still remember really well. Uh, it came as a response to another viral video from 2011. Uh, there was a white college student named Alexandra Wallace, and she made a vlog complaining about how loud Asians were in the library, I guess. And, uh, you know, ended up using some fun racial language. Uh, she ended up deleting the video, but it caused a big stir on social media, obviously. And so he responded with a uh, satirical love song making fun of her racist comments. Um, and really being able to use a lot of sophisticated editing techniques, story, music techniques, right? Like all of this, go all of this going on, um, but he had to do it on his own using that platform. Um, and that really just gets to how the internet, uh, at least from its inception, has been a tool that the API community has used to gain greater prominence and also build on increasing social change and activism, as, as we've seen with the, the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter, and really drawing attention to, even now, with the rise of COVID racism against the API community. Um, and so thinking through how we can continue to use the internet as we move into this new decade, um, to really take on more of the social challenges that we continue to face. Uh, this weekend, I thought it was kind of special, and since we happen to be talking about this today, uh, but our Empowered conference happened this weekend on YouTube Live. If you don't know, Empower is the conference put on by Co Collaboration, 
every year uh, for and by API creatives. And I thought it was, it just, it made sense that the, the fifth Empower, obviously the first digital version of this conference took place on that very platform that brought so much of our community into mainstream read, mostly white prominence, right? Um, and so some of the takeaways from that, I think really also applied to this conversation that Ray's about to have with Jimmy. Um, Diane Phelan, um, she's a Broadway actress, uh, sharing uh, in her panel as she created the hashtag unapologetically Asian campaign with a couple other folks, um, finding that in a lot of her creative work, it's the benefits that come later and you have to not necessarily be in it uh, when it comes to creating whatever it is, a video, a song, a movie, um, for the sake of becoming famous because that's not how this works. We we have no idea what made Jimmy's video go viral compared to anybody else's. Um, we do know that he took that fame and used it, um, as you'll see. Um, something that stuck out to me was Andrew Chow, of course, um, co-founder of Boba Guys, and just the reminder that people in power don't want to necessarily give up their power. I mean, we're seeing um, how more more groups, companies, uh, corporate stuff, etc., have been able to use the internet now for their own purposes. Um, and as we've all broadcasted and moved to the internet, especially now, um, where there's no other main way to communicate, right? Um, finding out how to use this platform um, as everyone else is on it as well and how we can still use it to promote injustice, the causes that we fight for as marginalized communities, um, and working with each other to promote um, each other's messages of fairness, of liberty, of being anti-racist. All of these things um, often start by supporting each other and supporting our our various communities. Um, The last thing that really stuck out to me was from producer Nina Yang, Bon Jovi, um, she did Sorry to Bother You, Fruitvale Station, she works with Forrest Whitaker, and, you know, something she mentioned was um, how previously there wasn't anything she could cop when pitching a project, and so normally um, people will say like, oh, like this, my, my movie idea is Pretty Woman plus, I don't know, Runaway Bride, or King Kong meets shrek to making that up but that sounds like it'd be a fun movie and i would definitely go see that um but there was nothing to comp when it came to a asian led movie and so we ended up just making it ourselves we've seen um so much coming from the indie community um especially in the 2000s we had better luck tomorrow that was justin lynn's debut he's now killing it with fast and furious saving face uh fast and furious also justin Um, to fresh off the boat and Crazy Rich Asians and on and on and on, right? And so we've been learning from what has come before. And so I love how Mulan was one of the rare features uh, in the 90s to obviously have an Asian lead, Go Ming-Na, Go Disney. And now uh, Jimmy Wong is one of the supporting characters in uh, the new live action version of Mulan whenever it comes out. Um, And 
way more interest in having API leads and perspectives, um, at least compared to when Jimmy first found himself responding to that racist video 10 years ago. And so what is it that the internet is going to be next, uh, moving into this new uncertain time with COVID and how can we continue to use it for, for social change and for marginalized groups to speak up? I think we're still trying to figure that out. And uh, so was Jimmy. So I'm going to turn that over to Ray. Enjoy the interview. Hey, everyone. My name is Ray. I am the host and the audio video director for Collaboration San Francisco. This community spotlight is with Jimmy Wong, the shelter in addition. Hence, you know, we're doing this on Zoom with all the indoor stuff and following shelter in procedures. We have Jimmy Wong who is a actor, singer, songwriter, along with, he is a co-host for Feast of Fiction with Ashley Adams, co-host of the Command Zone podcast and Game Nights for all your Magic the Gathering needs and appearing in video game high schools as Ted, Wong, and Ling on the upcoming uh, live-action Mulan movie. Woohoo! So yeah, Jimmy, if you want to just talk about yourself and see how you're doing it over in SoCal. Yeah, uh, I'm right now uh, sheltering in home in Los Angeles, California. I'm from Seattle, Washington originally, and like you said, I do a lot of things. Uh, I came to LA as an actor, and from there I became a YouTuber slash content creator, dove into music, and then into cooking and hosting and all sorts of other things, and sort of has carried my career for the past eight years or nine years now off of all those. Yeah, um, I really like your content specifically because your experience is really like interesting to me. You got your start, a huge viral start on YouTube in response to a, uh, well, as a song to a uh, video on, from Alexander Wallace, UCLA video yes. back in like nine, nine years ago or 10. Yeah, 2011 is when that happened originally. What was your like take on it when you were doing one, the songwriting process and also a reaction about the huge viral hit? Well, to give everyone a little context for the people that are listening, back in 2011, there was a sorority student at UCLA called uh, Alexandra Wallace, and she decided it was a good idea to post a vlog from her computer uh, ranting about Asians in the library being too loud and too disruptive so that she could not properly study for her finals and her exams. However, when she did said rant, she included, um, unfortunately, a fair amount of racist caricature that uh, didn't go over too well with the rest of the world. Her original went viral because of just how outlandish and outrageous it was for 2011. More ridiculous things have happened in the past week, by the way, in 2020, but we'll get to that later, I'm sure. Um, and as a result, the internet caught fire about it. They were sending her death threats and people were up in arms about it. And tons of Asian creators at the time also decided to make low responses. When I saw the video and I saw the sort of backlash that she was getting, I thought there was a better way to address the situation and to hopefully diffuse it a little bit. And, you know, ideally have everyone walk away from it with a little more mutual understanding and respect instead of just outwards hatred, hatred and vitriolic emotion. So I wrote a song in response that sort of took her entire message and on its sort of flipped it around, flipped the switch on it and made her message more of a unintended love song and an unintended love uh, outcry to all the other Asians out there. And as a result, that also blew up. And because 
the response was so much more positive than everything else out there. And it took the thing and it made light of it in a way that didn't leave anyone disparaged. Uh, it very politely put her down, but also lifted everyone else up. And that was sort of like the start of my YouTube career. Uh, I made YouTube videos. I started making YouTube videos a year after coming to LA and basically finding zero work. Um, you found some odd jobs here and there, but saw my brother, Freddie, doing a lot of YouTube stuff at the time and was like, you know what, this might actually be a really fun thing for me to do. So I jumped in and started with music and that was like, I think my third or fourth video and the response was massive, obviously, and caught me totally by surprise. And ever since then, I've sort of continued down that journey and followed that string of what it means to be a content creator, what it means to be an influencer and a host and an actor, all of these things sort of in this digital online age. Yeah, I really like, um, you know, outside from the response to the content you do create and some of the songs that you pu uh, published out on YouTube, it's been really interesting, right? Especially you've been taking up different roles and responsibilities of like, we shouldn't be like spreading more hate. It's much more of like, we should keep things, um, have people realize like we shouldn't be doing these things. Mm -hmm. um, and probably we should find a way to solve things without, you know, any um violent response or anything that's been going on of recent yeah i think you know that includes like another song that you uh published more recently i think last month correct yep um and that's much more of the current situation that we are in uh i don't want to get too deep about it but it's a really great song it's eye-opening to hear and listen to um with some great information that you did talk about and you did that all of that it, at home <laughs> surprisingly yeah. you're also you know grinding those creative juices in your head and just keep going at it and do you think that song process really affected uh where you are currently doing when i first started on youtube everything i did was from my apartment from my house from my own mini studio i built for myself um and over time i started working in other places or i'd be in an office somewhere and i think being able to be at home for me as a content creator has been a blessing one that a lot of people don't really have. Um, and I empathize with anyone out there that's lost their job or don't have a consistent source of income. Because being able to make a video from the comfort of your own living room is something that I've just sort of been doing for the past eight years. And being able to make a song like that, again, in response to current events and trying to elucidate the situation a little more so people understand what's going on and can be a little more aware and prepared in terms of how to deal with misinformation um, it definitely helped revitalize a bit of the creativity that's been lying dormant in me for a while because I haven't been able to make music like that and I haven't been able to just sit down and edit something in the privacy of my own room just for myself. You know, as time went on in LA, I found myself caught up in more and more projects, working with more and more business partners and co-hosts and all that stuff. And so it's been a bit harder for me to have that quiet time and that solo time that I need to really grind out something like that, a video like that. And so that was really nice to be able to get back to it a little bit. And returning to music is something that I've been wanting to do for quite a while now. It's just figuring out how exactly do I fit myself back into that in a way that makes me happy in 2020. It's really interesting that, you know, keeping on up with like creativity, what we can do um, mm -hmm. for like with the amount of spare time that we do have or finding a ways to solve the situations of like to, you know, easily de-stress ourselves yeah from your standpoint where you're not just doing just songs but you've done um like other things like hosting gigs for uh a different series and different uh streams mm -hmm. how's that like for you to just transition from you know doing youtube uh work and then going into those like main hosting um series um such as where you are right now especially like feats of fiction for, for example with ashley 
Well, I found that if I'm hired for a hosting gig or I'm asked to host something, typically my prior experience with YouTube, with online content creation ends up being really helpful because a lot of times the people that are making these hosting things, they're not doing it just for the TV. They're doing it for their YouTube channel or they're doing it for some sort of digital push that they're making. And so I've actually done a lot of consulting as well um, across eight years. And consulting is basically, hey, come into the room. We have a problem. What are your solutions? What are your insights? What have you learned in your past that can help us address this issue a little better? And that has been a really powerful part of being able to do content creation for so long as you get so much experience across the board doing so many different parts of production. You get to see things get made from zero to hero that you're able to provide a lot of insight to people who are either looking to break into the space or just or trying to refine their strategy a little bit. And so when I get to work on acting gigs outside of the ones that I'm making for myself and hosting gigs, I find that that experience is a, a really important part of why I can be helpful and contribute to something better in the long run, whatever project I'm working on. Mm, yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I think content creation is a very, it's a huge broad, situation where, like you can take on any different like mm -hmm. hats or put on different different hats at the same time and it's really interesting you can get to divulge yourself into like different knowledge of or aspects of whatever role is is necessary for like mm -hmm. especially if you're a producer or uh you know or director and such it's really hard to like okay how can we find ways to you know turn that to something else or right. change from one thing to another it's really interesting because like i actually think that where you are at it's a huge transition um to me i was like whoa, whoa he's hosting on one thing and then uh okay now he's doing cooking i was like okay and then now he's doing uh singing again i'm like wow that's you know it's like i would say a professional swiss army knife <laughs> <laughs> that's cute i like that but it's interesting of like you know you're taking on different roles and actually transitioning into uh about VGHS, so mm -hmm. for the role as Ted, you know, when you took on that role, how did it feel for you to, um, you know, just to act in this role, but also as like, what's the significance of playing as a uh, Asian American in that uh, in that scene? Because I know it is your brother's series. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's just like, uh, what would be much more of a bigger like impact that you think that was like easier for you? The role was really challenging at first. Um, it was like my first real big acting gig, something where I had to do more than like three lines. I had multiple scenes, I had an arc, um, and I was really fortunate that we had such a great writing staff and a really good directing staff as well because being able to do something and deliver it your best is, yeah, sure, I, I can do that anytime you want me to. I'll, I'll do my best, I'll do everything I can, but you miss out on a lot when you don't have other creative voices in on the mix, and that's what makes filmmaking so special. That was That's what makes theater... And any sort of collaborative art form special is that you get to have multiple opinions and multiple people that all are tuned into the same vision and they're all fulfilling it together. And there's a lot of communication that needs to be, you know, really honed in to make that dream and vision come true to the utmost. But Video Game High School was special in that it was my brother's project and the people he, were, he was working with to make it happen were collaborators of his for years and people I'd gone to school with, people I'd worked with closely in all sorts of different ways. So when it came down to executing the show, like there was very rarely any time when someone would ask a question and no one would know the answer. You know, anytime a question was raised, everyone that was a writer or a director could answer it adequately. So you always felt like you had a really good support system um, in terms of helping you decipher what you need to do in a scene or why something was happening or 
whether or not the, how you were addressing it might need to get adjusted a little bit. Like you always had the people around to make sure that you didn't make those missteps. And that was really, really valuable. And something I think I encourage for anyone trying to do anything creative and really anything in life is make sure you have good partners and business, you know, associates, people that you can count on and trust for their opinion, because you're going to rely on it more than you realize. You can't, no one can build a ship entirely by themselves. Everyone is always accumulating knowledge or experience. And the more you can do that, the better off you'll be in the long run. Yeah, that's totally agreeable because it's like, yeah, you can't just do everything on your own. Uh, that's, that's totally important. And um, yeah, and I think uh, with video game high school being a very different like platform, I think it's one of the very first few like, like web series that gained a huge like, not representation i'm trying to think recognition there you go yeah um and for sure a very diverse cast a super very diverse cast mm -hmm. that's like it's out there because you have not just asian americans you have Af uh, african americans um caucasians everyone it's insane and like even the knowledge or the story like it's super diverse in itself because you know it's never been done it has not really been done before yeah they were trying to push a lot of boundaries uh, you know, when they made the show, both in terms of show topic, you know, back when the show was made, it's a show about esports being a professional high school thing. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's laughable back in 2012, but you fast forward to the day and the kid that won the Fortnite World Cup is like some random 13 year old that's now a millionaire. So, yeah. you know, like this is a very much the world that we're living in now. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that, that was cool to see. And I think like being able to have writers that are of my generation and also age group, means that we're also aligned on a lot of things and ways that we kind of see the world and perceive it. And, you know, as a writer, you want to put your vision of what it is on the page. And as a director, you want to bring that vision to life and add your own sort of flavor to it. And so everyone having a really cohesive vision from the writing to the production to the directing helped out a lot to make sure the directors, I mean, the actors were on the right page when we did stuff and to make sure that the stuff we were doing tonally was correct and wasn't disrespectful, but also push the boundaries in the ways that they wanted to see it pushed, which is like, these are writers that hate useless female characters that are just sidekicks to the main guy, or they hate sort of like the passive Asian male or whatever. And so mm -hmm. they're able to incorporate all of the things that they don't want to see, but put it into a script that they want to write. And so it's not like they're writing the script to do this thing. The script is more a vehicle for them to express a whole host of different emotions and feelings and opinions that they have. You know, it's not just representation that was talked about on that show. There's a lot of stuff about the game industry, a lot of stuff about grind culture. You know, there's lots of little elements here and there, what it means to grow up, you know, and that's that's sort of what the show is about. And they and for them to be able to tell that story genuinely, they also need to make sure that it looked genuine and felt genuine from a representation standpoint. And I think the show did a really good job in that world. Further on, like you are, you were trying to like, I think it was like much more building a portfolio from that mm -hmm. step forward from like you know doing these acting gigs and these hosting gigs i'm really curious about like your um, experience as a, as an asian american like what was your experience was like in la and acting in general in life in life like how it's like yeah <laughs> everyone has a different experience <laughs> yeah that's true uh well my parents immigrated here from china in the 80s and i grew up a uh, learning Chinese as well as speaking English and went to Chinese school as a kid, took Chinese in high school because I wanted to learn more of it. I've been back to China probably 16 to 18 times. I can't even count That's at this point. That's more than me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my, my parents always wanted to make sure that we would go back as kids to see our grandparents. 
mm-hmm. um, and to understand also where our parents grew up and to and be a, partake in that culture and eat the food and say, see and do all that stuff. So I'm always very grateful for those opportunities to travel. And that has been a big part of me, I think, still associating strongly with that part of my identity. And also like learning that I need, to, you know, I feel the pain of other Asians sometimes when we are the object of subject of discrimination or abuse mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And even though I personally have not experienced that much of it in my lifetime, I've seen stories, I've seen videos. My dad's told me personal stories. My mom has too. I know that it exists and it's something that still pains me. So I think that's been a big part of me in my career, you know, leaning more towards making statements and sta- you know, holding firm on viewpoints that I believe to be true and m- rotating a lot of my content around that as well. Um, but not focusing it entirely on that. You know, at the end of it, I'm still kind of a fun-loving guy that wants to just chill and have a good time. But when it comes to things that I'm really passionate about, I'm not going to stand idly by and let, you know, an entire race of people get subjugated to attacks because people are just being ignorant or need someone to scapegoat for a problem. So, you know, all the way from the video about Alexander Wallace in 2011, all the way to the current racism against Asians across the world due to this virus, um, it's always been, you know, really important to me to make sure that I'm out there representing my culture and my people almost in my identity because, you know, every day that I don't stand up for my group, my thing, whatever you want to call it, is another day that they're going to lose a little more in that battle. So I think it takes, you know, an army, not a real army, but a large coalition of people to make sure that we are unified in our voice and our message to really bring meaningful change to the world. And it's one of those things, there's a really great quote um, where it's, I forget exactly who said it, but it's like, they came for the X, but they didn't come for me. They came for the X. And, you know, it's basically showing, you know, different groups being taken out or being removed and the person not standing up for them and the it ends with and when they came for me there was no one left to stand up for me so that's sort of how i feel about it too it's it's one of those things where it's very easy when it's not you being directly affected to not care um because your life is as hard enough as it is you know there's enough things that you have to deal with why do you have to now burden yourself with the the problems of others but i think what it really shows to me is that at the end of the day if we're not careful when it does come down and the hammer does come down on you there may be no one left to say something for you. And so I think I'm, I'm always trying to fight against that and be a part of a positive wave of messaging and, and companionship and togetherness um, across humans, across races and all that stuff as well. And a big part of that is just good communication, removing ignorance and making sure that we as a people are as informed and ready to tackle any problems or issues as possible. And a lot of that just comes with messaging, staying on top of it and caring. Totally agree because of our current situation of, you know, recent current events and stuff. It's to me, I feel like how we can find a way to support the community and not spread more hate. And that's I like mm-hmm. finding a way to alleviate some things. I think uh, in your case, it's like, yeah, you're very creative and you know, you ex- you're willing to express uh, who you are and what you support because that's one thing not a lot of Asian Americans um, have tried out until, you know, as of late uh, with the huge rise of, like, representing a- Asian American Heritage Month um, and various other causes are being supported during this time. And I think 
if we can find a way to get, you know, not just Asian Americans, but people to know about our culture, our histories. Yeah, there is a story of a guy named Daryl Davis, who was a blues musician, and he mm-hmm. spent 30 years, he's a black guy, befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan, and he got over 200 Ku Klux Klan members to give up their robes. And it just goes to show that a lot of what this is about is fear drives us to do really irrational and hateful things. And fear is usually based out of a lack of understanding and the lack of knowing exactly what it is that you're afraid of, but you're afraid of the unknown or you're afraid of a stereotype. And so communication and again, finding ways to teach people and show people rather than tell them is a great way Mm. to slowly shift the world's perception of something. And I think that's something that we all can contribute towards. And, you know, whether or not that's sharing a movie or sharing a favorite story or, you know, eating out at your friend's house and having their parents cook you food, whatever it is to just bring you closer to another culture will completely erase xenophobia over time because you're just shown time and time again that there is nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, going into the idea of like how we can find a way to bridge uh, cultures and how we can find a way to bridge certain things, like especially with food um, and transitioning into that, like about Feast of Fiction, you've actually applied uh, cultural like characteristics into the ingredients that you guys make. Uh, so it's interesting if like you want to explain a little bit more about mm-hmm. Like, especially, like, especially bringing your mom to the show, too. <laughs> and my dad. Um, my dad's been on there, too. And your dad, too. And so it's really interesting. Yeah, I like, Feast of Fiction started off as an idea between my brother and me where we were asking ourselves, what needs to be on the internet content-wise that doesn't exist there yet? And this is 2011, um, long before, like, the binging with Babishes of the world and the other mm-hmm. fictional food-type shows that have popped up since then. And our our conclusion was what Feast of Fiction is today, which is like a show that recreates the food from your favorite video games, movies, animes, television shows, you name it. If it's existed in a fictional format, even if it's not a real food, let's see if we can make it into a reality and make some dreams come true. And that was the foundation of that show. And ever since then, you know, we've been able to dive into all sorts of different little buckets as a result of it. You know, bring my mom on because there are a lot of foods from animes that are very specifically Asian cooking. There are a lot of foods and shows like Avatar The Last Airbender that are heavily influenced by Asian culture. So being able to bring in like a real legitimate Asian chef and my mom helps me make sure that the recipes are legitimate. And, you know, it's also a really great chance for me to reconnect with my parents in a way that I didn't really get to growing up and getting to work with them creatively and collaboratively in a way like that. And, and, you know, cooking is one of my mom's passions and the thing that was a consistent factor in my life every single day growing up. So being able to do all that and and envelop in Asian culture with food and all that stuff has been another just small way that I think I'm able to slowly bring a bit of my experience to the world and share it with everyone in a way that I hope is, you know, ultimately very consumable and non-threatening. I think with all of that uh, really revolves around into like who you are and, you know, there's more to it. You know, there's more that you can express, especially, you know, you being a content creator, of like oh is there more things i can try out there's more things you know hobbies and stuff um and i believe like you know you actually took up another uh role such as the live action mm-hmm. Mulan. like what was your experience like uh just um acting um especially with these role models that were huge in the industry it's great you know the inside the movie we have actors like jason scott lee tai ma who's been you know everywhere recently ron yuan donnie yen gong lee jet lee these are all legends in their own right 
um, being able to act alongside them or even just be in the same room as them, being in the same city as them, because some of these actors we didn't have many scenes with. Um, it's great to just be able to learn from their experiences and hear what they have to say about their time in the industry, what they've struggled through, how things were back in the you know 80s or the 90s when we weren't actors yet. And also being able to see where it's come from, how it's come, uh, you know, how it's gotten this far, where it hasn't come that far. Um, and so that experience, I think, was way more valuable for me as a person that loves learning about things than it was for me as an actor. Because my role, you know, it's not huge. And I'm not being tasked here to do some intense emotional scenes. I'm here to play a part in the movie to support the story of the movie, first and foremost. You know, I'm not running in there trying to trying to steal the limelight out from anyone or or get an Oscar for my performance. I'm there to be the character. And I think the thing that I really did come away from that movie was is seeing, you know, how powerful it is for someone like a director like Nikki to have a super strong vision and be able to coalesce all of these amazing talented people below her and around her to help make that vision come into a reality. And then also talking to the original sort of the OG actors, as we called them, you know, how they saw the industry, how they were still operating within it, how they've managed to make their lives work around this very difficult job of being an actor. So it was great to just be able to hear from all of them and understand what their experiences are and learn and glean as much as I could. Along with that, you're also going to be part of another um, movie uh, that's mm -hmm. to be determined, uh, which is... When it Wish comes out, yeah. yeah. So it is The Wish Dragon? Yes, Wish Dragon. It's an animated movie. I play the lead voice of the main character in the movie. Uh, it's about a young boy in, set in modern-day Shanghai who comes across a magical teapot. And inside that teapot is a wish dragon that will grant him three wishes. And it's very much similar to the classic Aladdin story, um, but sort of with a uh, modern Chinese spin on it mm. um, in terms of what the what the what it looks like, where it's based, the cultural parts of it, the the elements, the backgrounds, the rooms, the furniture, all the way down to the shoes that we wear are all influenced by modern-day Chinese culture. And John Cho, uh, another amazing actor, is the voice of the dragon, and my mother is voiced by Constance Wu. And that was really an absolute joy to work on as well because it's a very different experience. Oh, yeah. Like I only met John once. I never met Constance in the studio, and I'm always recording, usually by myself, and having the director or producer read the other lines back to me. So it's like this interesting experience where you're in isolation, but this is just sort of how the voice acting world goes, and you're trying to be in character and jump from scene to scene and maintain you know, uh, who this character is in the heart of who they are. And Video Game High School is actually, I think, a big part in helping me encapsulate that character and that role really well because it's a character that bears some similarities to Ted, but more importantly, it's about how do you sustain this character throughout every scene and make sure that your delivery and the world you bring to this character is consistent yeah because i was very interested of like how the roles are going to be played out um in general and like the, the more we should have like we should be appreciative of having more of these kinds of movies coming out um mm -hmm. on our platforms because like um like having like crazy rich asians the searching a lot of like asian leading roles I feel that's like the huge importance for our communities to like recognize. And I'm actually wondering about your thoughts about, you know, the huge amount of representation in these mo movies, like along with uh, the ones that, are com that have came out on like Netflix mm -hmm. or on YouTube. Yeah. Well, more and more are popping up, which is fantastic. 
it signifies that there's a growing trend as well as a growing interest in these types of movies. And I think the interest has always been there. We just haven't really capitalized on it yet. Um, movies are all about making money at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the individual creators and directors and artists it, at the core of them may not care about that for the studios that are funding it for the companies that are putting all of these dollars in, they have to turn a profit. And so if it means that Asian audiences and audiences in general are going to be interested and will go to the theater and will rent and will watch these films with predominantly Asian cast in it, it's a great sign because it means that, you know, the things that we're making are not only critically good, but they're also profitable. And those are two things that are really important in today's society for their guaranteed success, right? We're currently entering a period of time where we're going to watch a lot of essential industries, a lot of great industries get shut down. We're watching restaurants get closed. We're watching movie theaters fall out of business, clubs, nightclubs, all that sort of stuff. And it's going to be really important to show, you know, when you show your support for stuff in the future, you're, you are really voting with your wallet, both for the sustainment of what that thing is. If it's an Asian led movie with an Asian cast, your vote with your wallet means that more movies like this can exist in the future because you're showing the world and you're showing the companies and the people that are making it possible that you want to see this stuff. So, you know, I'm really excited that we get to see people freaking out about this stuff on social media, tweeting about the half of it, which just came out and Mm -hmm. showing their admiration and also their support for these great actors and these up and comers that no one knew about before. And that's just part of how I think these sort of trends start and how these waves of, of, um, of, uh, of excitement get rolling is, someone started to push the snowball down the hill and took a little bit of a risk. And once other people saw that the snowball was going to keep making its way down that hill, they're happy to join in and help push it down as well. So we are a part of that force pushing the snowball down. And the more that we can push it, the more that we can fuel into it in terms of popularity, hype, money, all that stuff, the bigger the snowball is going to get. And eventually it's going to be able to join the other already massive snowballs that exist in the entertainment world. So we just have to keep pushing towards this and you know in time it's not going to happen overnight nothing happens overnight but in time you'll see the industry start to develop and to start to become more inclusive of these sorts of things because again as long as they're profitable and as long as they're popular that's what's going to keep them going and we are a huge part as consumers in making both of those things happen yeah i i really like that and it's like same thing goes for like the movie like parasite winning four oscars yeah that's, parasite great great example i'm like love the movie um i'm not going to do any twists and turns here <laughs> but <laughs> i will say it's like whenever i, I enter to someone's home i'm just like oh it's a big house <laughs> yeah um but uh like the lights are flickering the lights oh, are no. Flick- oh no <laughs> but it's really interesting because like some a movie like parasite that obviously wasn't made in uh the united states uh was made in korea by bong joon ho um uh, great director uh love all the movies that he has made, uh, which it doesn't actually depict about like just Asians, um, you know, about their culture and race. It's more about it's class struggles. Yeah, it, it, it's a very relevant topic, I think, which is just like privilege versus not privilege. What do humans do to make it in this world? And especially given current circumstances, we see that there is a growing divide now between the haves and the have-nots, and and mm. there's a lot to be learned here and there's a lot to be studied and a lot to be talked about. And so I think conversations that arise from movies like this are all very productive in making sure that we create a society that is balanced and good and can afford opportunity to everyone. I really appreciate that. And it's um, going to the point of like, you know, being represented and such. And I think 
being creative is one of the huge um, points that we want to encourage for everyone, especially if you're our listener or people who are watching it, uh, to mm-hmm. encourage people, like, you know, especially during sheltering, there's always something for anyone can do. You can, it's okay to take a nap for more than like four hours. <laughs> that's, that's how I usually spend my, some, some of my time. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of books to read. Um, there's a lot of books to pre-order or order, such as the Feast of Fiction book. Yeah, I have a cookbook. You can you can definitely buy that. It it just came out. You can also watch movies. Yeah. You can watch films. You can watch. You can binge shows. You can you can do so many things with the time. Just don't feel bad if you're not being productive. You just need to rest. But also, you know, don't let all this time go to waste. If you have something that you want to do, now could be a great time to do. Yeah, it. Um, I've seen people make plant babies. <laughs> uh, it's insane, and or baking bread. That's you know, there's so many things. Yeah, a lot of bread being breaks. Sourdough bread, the most popular bread yeah. in the world. I right went now. to a Rayleigh's earlier, and all the yeast is gone. Uh-huh. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find yeast right now. It's kind of um, funny. But it's really interesting because, like, I think, like, for you to still be creative during this time, um, it has, you know, it's really... Cha- it's not just challenging, but also it's a good challenge. Not like, mm-hmm. you know, you're okay with failure. Yeah. It's definitely a welcome challenge. Yeah. It's like an it's like being ambitious uh to me. I that's what I've been trying to, you know, keep going with, especially for our team at Collaboration. We do want to encourage, you know, to be creative at home and also stay safe. What would be a great advice for you to share if you want to talk about, you know, about creativity and how you can maybe challenge yourself in a good way? Yeah, totally. Um jeez. Creativity is a very hard thing to pinpoint. It's a very um it's a term that has a lot of meanings and it's going to mean something different for everyone as mm-hmm. well. And it's all relative, right? If you are a, a master musician and you write a song that I couldn't write if I trained for 20 years, but you're the musician, you might go, that wasn't creative at all at me. This is nothing. And I look at that and go, that's the most creative thing I've ever seen in my life. That doesn't mean that my version of events is any more false than the musician's version of events. And I think that's really important to think about when it comes to personal creativity and personal things is that everyone has their own starting point and everyone has where they're going to. And it's really easy to get uninspired or intimidated by someone else's creation or what someone else is outputting. And I would say to that, you know, don't let other people, what other people are doing shut you down find ways to get inspired by it but don't hold yourself to the same standard that someone else does because you've lived a completely different life um, and your situation is completely different too so if you're looking to be creative find out what in your own way is relative to your own output in general what feels creative to, to, to you and find you know success and happiness in that don't get stressed out about seeing all the other stuff that's being posted online these days because yeah that's yeah everyone's in quarantine and so the best artists in the world have even more time to draw stuff so of course they're going to draw stuff that makes you feel like holy crap i can never do anything like that but you know that also means that there are people out there that are putting up more tutorials so maybe it means that you should watch a tutorial instead and find out a new technique that you can apply to your next painting instead of trying to carbon copy what someone else is doing so again let your creativity be unique to yourself and don't don't compare yourself relentlessly to other people, especially now that a lot of people out there have the time and ability to make a lot more content. You know, sharing your expression, your um, ambition and all that stuff with who you are. And it's really appreciative because especially during um, Heritage Month and during the uh, the situation with uh, the quarantine and shelter in, you know, this is a great time for all of us to try out something new. So 
um, I encourage you all to do that. Follow Feast of Fiction, follow Jimmy on his social media, um, because I think it's JF Wong on everything? Yep. It's on everything. Wow. Yeah, so on much. Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube? All right, yep. yeah. Well, on YouTube, it's just Feast, Feast of Fiction, Fiction yeah. to find our cooking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys so much, and thank you to for hosting this and all that. I look forward to seeing it. That interview, mixing, editing, and producing coming from our film director, Ray Wong. Thanks, Jimmy and Ray. With that, we are going to wrap it up for today. Do you have a story in your circle of friends or community that explores how family, cultural, and personal histories are shaping artistry and identity? How are you going back where you came from? You can send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldandgreat at collaboration.org. Spelled all the way out in collaboration with a K. Our associate producer is Michelle Abiera. Our supervising producers are Long Vo and Adrian Chen. And our executive producer is Josh Ko. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Guh. And you can learn more about Bobby's work at bobbygemusic.com. I'm Josh Coe, and we'll see you in two weeks for more stories of the gold and great. Stay safe, stay well, and stay golden.